Denver. I want to welcome those that are joining us online. And I got to take a little poll this morning. How many of you here today have ever had any experience with temptation? Anybody here been tempted? I think we probably all jump into that. And uh, maybe even this morning had a little bit of temptation. And I'm guessing if you're like me, uh, sometimes you've been able to resist temptation. At other times, maybe more than you'd like, uh, you've given in to temptation. And if temptation has ever been a struggle for you, uh, you kind of might resonate with the guy who, after reviewing the list of the Ten Commandments, seeing everything that was to wrong, he said, well... (laughs) At least I've never made any graven images. I can check that one off. I believe it was Oscar Wilde who said, I can resist everything except temptation. And uh, sadly for many people, the only way they know how to deal with temptation is to give into it. And isn't it true that you hardly ever have to go looking for temptation? It oftentimes comes looking for you. Kind of like the little boy who wanted to uh, buy a bicycle, and so his plan was to save all of his money until he can earn enough to buy his very own bicycle. And so every night he would bring his uh, concern before the Lord, and he'd kneel beside his bed, and he would pray. He'd say, Lord, please help me save the money for my new bicycle. And please, please, Lord, don't let the ice cream truck come down our street tomorrow, because that's not going to help. Last week, we embarked on a study of the life of Joseph from the book of Genesis that we're calling Detours to Destiny. And I noticed, uh, as Pastor Dave started off, that he and I share, I think, a lot of the same annoyance with detours uh, on the road. It's really, really hard. Uh, Like several months ago, uh, remember when Old Ranch Road was blocked off for like 10 weeks And, you know, I dread detours because they're not always easy to follow. In fact, we saw that when Old Ranch was uh, blocked off because we live over off of Voyager and Springcrest over here in a neighborhood where there's only one road in and one road out. And somehow or another, the detour people had everybody driving through our neighborhood. We had like a couple hundred cars of people just driving through our neighborhood and driving on. That's because you just never know how much time or trouble a detour may add to your journey. But we're calling this study Detours to Destiny because we're going to see that Joseph's life included some major detours that sent him places that he would have never chosen to go on his own. But those places ended up playing an important role in God's plan for his life. And so whenever you find yourself on one of those detours uh, in a chapter of your life that you don't like, You need to remember, as Joseph did, that there's there's another chapter yet to be written. But the question really is here, uh, are you willing to allow God to write the next chapter, to let him uh, orchestrate that? Well, Joseph, we found, was willing. And he demonstrated that in that he lived a life that was honoring to God despite the circumstances that he found himself in. And that could possibly be why uh, such a great deal of attention is given to Joseph's story. And if you're at all unfamiliar with this amazing Old Testament character, I'd encourage you sometimes sit down with your Bible and you can read about his story in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. This morning, if you want to follow along in your Bibles or on your device, we're going to be in chapter 39 and we'll be reading that in just a moment. Now, anyone who's familiar with Joseph's story would know him as that favored teenage son who was given a coat of many colors by his father. And Joseph, we know, was actually the great-grandson of Abraham, the grandson of Isaac, and the son of Jacob. 
And as we learned last week, Jacob had allowed a very dysfunctional family system to develop in his home. And as Joseph's story began, uh, he could have easily been described as a rather arrogant 17-year-old strutting around, needling his brothers while being overtly really favored by his father. And it was that favoritism shown to him by his father that caused eventually Joseph's jealous brothers to first of all throw him into a cistern. They wanted to kill him before that. But then they sold him, their own, their own brother, into slavery. And that landed Joseph then in Egypt, a very long way from his home in Canaan. And that first detour for Joseph had to be a very uncertain time for him. And what we're going to discover today is what already looked like a bad situation was actually going to begin to look even worse. So let's jump in in Genesis chapter 39. We'll start reading with verse 1, and we'll read on down through verse 9. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the God, guard, brought him from, bought him from the Ishmaelites and after they had taken him there. The Lord, though, was with Joseph so that he prospered as he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. And with Joseph in, in charge, he did not even concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Sounds like a pretty good gig, right? Well, here's where it comes in. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And, while, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. The good news is the next, very next verse says, but he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now, I'm not sure exactly, well, we'll learn a little bit how Joseph did it, but talk about a tantalizing temptation. It really is a story that has all the makings of a modern-day soap opera. Which kind of reminds me, folks, you know, if the Bible wasn't so real, it really wouldn't be worth reading. But the Bible talks about real-life stuff. Now, fortunately, Joseph made the wise and God-honoring choice, and he really, I think, offers to us what we could call a temptation-busting clinic on how to effectively overcome temptation. And he becomes one of the very few Bible characters who finished his life well without any real scandal or significant moral failures. And so in order to learn from his life, I'd like us to examine what I'd call Joseph's temptation-busting tactics. What is it that Joseph did uh, that uh, we need to emulate in our own lives? Now, we're going to cover a lot of territory, I've got to warn you. So don't try, to, don't try to get everything. Pick one or two of these things and uh, let them help you overcome temptation. I think one of the first things we learn from Joseph is to never allow your circumstances to govern your behavior. Don't let that do it. And predetermine what your response is going to be. 
I mean, think about it for Joseph. He's in an unknown land. He's separated from his family. He's no longer a free man. Now he's actually a slave. And his entire life has been upended. Joseph was in a very different place now with different smells and different tastes, different people, a different language, uh, different gods even. All of his life, Joseph had believed in only one God, and now he's in a land where the people believed in literally thousands of gods. And if we're honest, he could have thought to himself, you know, I, I kind of deserve this. Life's not been really very fair to me, and so it justifies compromising what I know to be right. But instead, if you remember how Joseph actually responded, when, when Potiphar's wife said, come to bed with me, it says, but he refused. Now, how was he able to demonstrate such a strong will and resolve? Well, I think it's because he already had determined what the right solution was in that situation. And not only had he predecided that he was going to honor God with his life, he was also very cleanly aware of the impact of his actions, which brings us to the next thing we learned from him, is to be aware of the impact of your actions. Now, what's so noteworthy about this scene is that it actually predates the Ten Commandments by about 400 years. And yet there's, there's this amazing moral quality about Joseph. He doesn't need the Ten Commandments to tell him that that would be wrong. And so when Potiphar's wife continues to hound him, here's his response. He says in verse 9, he says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now, that's exactly the detour that Satan wanted to take Joseph on because of the detour he had previously gone on. And we got to know, folks, Satan uh, would enjoy nothing more than to take all of us on his own detour into sin as well. Because Satan knows that sin is always going to take you farther than you wanted to go. It's going to keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and it's going to cost you way more than you ever want to pay. And that's what I think Joseph understood. Now, folks, fast forward to our world today. And I got to say, man, moral failure is widespread. It's literally gone viral, especially for so many men who are falling all around us, and its effects are devastating. I mean, look around, celebrities and entertainers and TV personalities, secular and Christian alike, are losing their jobs. They're going to jail for sexual harassment and manipulation and abuse of women. Even pastors and priests and spiritual leaders are being charged with these, these crimes. But Joseph fortunately stayed strong. And you know what we're told? Even though she spoke to him day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her until one day when he went into the house to attend to his duties and all the other household servants were outside. In verse 12, it says, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Now notice Joseph didn't say, well, let's talk about this some more. It says he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And folks, what we learned from Joseph, when you're encountering temptation, don't linger at the point of temptation. Don't hang around there. In fact, when faced with especially sexual temptation, young people hear this, the word of God gives one very clear instruction. Flee, run, get out of there. Remove yourself from that situation. That's exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He said you need to flee, especially sexual immorality. 
And then he says, hey, you got to recognize how serious this is. It says all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually actually sins against their own body. And folks, sometimes defeating temptation means taking some evasive action. Get out of the situation. Run from it. Don't stick around. All too often, though, I know a lot of people, they do just the opposite. They stay. They continue to look at the websites. They watch the movies. They stare at those images. They build emotional relationships with someone other than their spouse. And folks, anytime we do that, that's when we give the devil a foothold in our lives. And so the next time you're tempted... Please get up and change the channel. Go for a walk. Read the Bible. Call a Christian friend. Do something to break its hold on you. And and if that isn't enough, I mean, here really is how seriously Jesus describes the lengths that we ought to go to to try to avoid falling into sin because of temptation. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Hey, if your right eye is causing you to stumble... You really ought to gouge it out and throw it away because it would be better for you to lose that one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Well, even though Joseph did what was right, I just got to let you know, his experience clearly demonstrates something that we need to be aware of, and that is that resisting temptation may not always resort in, result in short-term benefit. Like, hey, I did the right thing, and look how well things went, or look how much better things got. Because when we look at Joseph's life, because Joseph spurned Potiphar's wife's advances, she quickly turned against him, remember, and she accused him of rape. And here comes another detour. In verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And honestly, I want to remind us today, in today's world, if you're going to try to live a life that honors God, especially morally and sexually, you probably ought to expect some pushback and even really um, some ridicule in today's world. Peter, the apostle Peter, actually addressed this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. He says to the Christ followers, he says, you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgy, carousing, and detestable adultery. And of course, they're surprised that you won't join with them in their wild, reckless living, and they heap abuse on you. You know why? Because honestly, misery loves company. All this to say, when, life's, when Joseph's life got detoured, it was his faith and his trust in God that kept him from becoming disoriented and losing his way. And apparently Joseph was fully convinced that he, it was his relationship with God that mattered the most and that God's standards actually existed for his good. And while uh, he, he, he understood that he had to recognize the pleasures of sin are just fleeting and a greater reward was really laying ahead of him. So I, I want to just spend some time talking about what I call some biblical observations concerning temptation. Because Joseph tells a lot, but the Bible has a lot to say about temptation. And we need to hear from it because, you know, there are two ways that we can learn. We can learn either through wisdom or through consequences. And let me just say that wisdom is a lot less painful way to learn lessons. And the Bible actually says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that we could learn 
from it. Well, one of the observations you could make from the Bible about temptation is that, folks, temptation is as old as mankind. It's been around a long time. It's still here. It's probably not going away. And all we have to do is go back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. Notice the temptation when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took it. She gave in and ate it. She gave to her husband and he gave in and he ate it as well. And what that means is that temptation is not something, folks, that you and I are ever going to outgrow or be able to get away from. And I know that sometimes when Christ followers especially, when they encounter temptation, it can elicit three very common responses. For example, it can create a little bit of shock in Christ followers. Like how in the world could I think a thought like that? They're shocked. Or a little bit of frustration. Like, why do I keep on falling in the same way over and over again? Or maybe discouragement in their lives. Like, man, I'll never be able to change. So what's the antidote? Well, instead of being shocked or frustrated or discouraged, you need to be prepared for those temptations. That's why Jesus actually said, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And that's where the struggle is. Because the body says, hey, there's some short-term gain to have there. And what we need to remind ourselves is short-term gain sometimes can lead to some long-term pain. So you should anticipate the temptation. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be intimidated by it. Don't be shocked by it. Instead, be prepared for it. There's also something else that you clearly need to be aware of uh, when you're dealing with temptation. And that is, it's not a sin to be tempted a sin is giving in to the temptation, but it's not a sin to be tempted. We know that because the Bible actually says that Jesus was tempted. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, uh, the Bible says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Uh, God understands the weakness we have. We have a high priest who is tempted in every way. Now, that's a pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Jesus getting tempted in every way that we were and yet that wasn't the sin because it says he did not sin. So we need to be aware about it. The second thing, observation from the Bible, I would want us to know about is the fact that, that Satan is the number one perpetrator of temptation. It started right in the Garden of Eden and he's now had several thousand years to practice and so he's gotten really good at it. And you need to know that deception, deception is his game and getting you to disobey God is his aim. And we know that because, for example, in John chapter 8, uh, verse 44, Jesus said, Satan was a murderer from the beginning, uh, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And he took those lies right to Jesus. If you remember, uh, in Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And when you read about those temptations, they were, they were lies, mostly from him, that included only teeny little bits of truth. And so uh, some people today, I think, well, I don't really know if I believe in the devil. Well, I got to tell you, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus believed in the devil. And uh, you need to know that uh, the moment you give your life to Christ and that you become his Christ follower, Satan draws a great big red bullseye on you. You become his target. And he wants to find any way that he can to either block your relationship with God or at least slow down your growth. 
And the Bible says we, we need to be ready and actually be aware. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, the Bible says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And so like Joseph, who decided beforehand how he was going to respond because he knew temptation would come, when you're a Christ follower, uh, you are going to have to ignore spiritual and emotional alarms going off Anytime you get near to sin, the Bible says that the word of God and his spirit will help with that, especially those most destructive sins. And so you've got to be aware of his schemes. That's why today, honestly, I just got to ask you, if you think about it, would you pray for me today? Because here's what I know. There is nothing that Satan would enjoy more than after I have preached on temptation for me to give in to temptation, to make it harder for that way. That's just the way it goes. Third thing we ought to know from the Bible is this. While temptation is common to all, God promises boundaries and opportunities to escape. And I'm just going to read what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, because I think it's pretty clear. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And folks, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, not if you are tempted, when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can endure it. Now, what if all that happens and you still fail? Well, observation number four, just be simple. Hey, when you mess up, folks, you got to fess up. <laughs> when you make a mistake, you just go ahead and be willing to admit it to God. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And by fess up, I mean you just need to acknowledge it to God because it's important for you to know that God knows. Now, God really already knows. When you tell him what you've done, you're not going to surprise him. He's going to go, I already know. But now I'm glad that you know that I know. I mean, to me, oftentimes, we, we, like, we like to hide or we think we're, we're hiding. And one of, the, one of the, the games I love to play with toddlers is hide and seek. I mean, isn't it a hoot when you play with, with toddlers? Because they think if they can't see you, you can't see them. So half their body's sticking out, and yeah, here, you know, you can, you can see them. And I think sometimes we think because God can't see us, or that we can't see God, that God can't see us. But 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We've got to wrap up. I want to close with some important questions I think you need to answer before before you encounter temptation. Question number one, what temptation or temptations am I most susceptible to? And, uh, and there's a lot of different people in this room. Not everybody has the same temptation or that tempts them at the same level. In fact, let me take a little bit of, a, of another poll here today. Uh, how many, <laughs> I'm anxious to see this service. How many lima bean lovers do we have in this service today? Hold those hands up high so we can see them. See, way more than I would ever think, right? Because uh, i got to admit, I'm never tempted to eat a lima bean because there's, there's not really any appeal there for lima beans. So think about it. The only reason anything is a temptation is because it promises to satisfy a need or a desire. And you and I have to figure that out. So secondly, question, when does temptation hit me the hardest? And you got to know, what, what's going on there? Is it when you're tired or you're bored or you're overextended or you're lonely or you're distracted or you're overwhelmed? If that's so, that's when you just need to be extra on guard. 
Uh, some of you that are here today might be maybe more susceptible to temptation right after a big success. Things go well, and then you, you, you can fall. Or, or some of you might be more tempted when you're with your friends on the weekend. And you need to be able to anticipate those times when you're more vulnerable so that you can be prepared for them. Which leads us to question number three. What steps am I going to take to escape the temptation? Now, Joseph has given us some, but we've got to go back to God's word. And have you ever wondered why the Bible is sometimes the most difficult book in the world to read? You can read almost anything else except reading the Bible. Well, it's because, folks, the word of God is our best offensive weapon and Satan wants to neutralize it as a weapon against temptation, so he just keeps us out of it. And we need to really do more than just read the Bible. Actually, uh, we need to hide it in our hearts if we want it to be the most effective weapon. Notice what the Bible says in, in Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. And young people here, please hear this, because it's actually written to you. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I've actually hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And folks, if you don't have any verses memorized, it's like you don't have any bullets in your gun. It's not going to shoot very well. And then question number four, besides God, who do I need to ask to hold me accountable? Two really are better than one. And if you have somebody else in your life, it can be very helpful. But I will say this, it is going to require integrity and honesty on your part. Here's what we know, folks. God calls his people to live holy, pure lives. And even though Joseph's refusal to join an adulterous relationship with his master's wife led to another detour of prison instead of promotion, wherever Joseph was, God was at work in his life in ways that Joseph couldn't really have understood at the time. I mean, when Joseph was put in prison by Potiphar, it would be there that he would really make the, the, the connection that would lead to the fulfillment of the dreams that he'd boasted about in front of his brothers. It truly was a detour to destiny because that from that place, God would honor Joseph's faithfulness in a far greater way than Joseph could have ever imagined, even to the point where, think about it, where Potiphar, who had been Joseph's master, would one day end up becoming Joseph's servant when Joseph became the highest in all of Egypt except for Pharaoh. But that's next week's story. I don't want to get ahead. See, it was Joseph's integrity that set him up for his next strategic detour to destiny. And what that could mean in your life today is that if you're in a chapter of your life that you don't really like or that you don't really understand, are you willing to trust that there's another chapter yet to be written? And then the other question, will you, will you decide to honor God wherever you are and no matter what situation you find yourself in? Because that disappointing detour you find yourself in now could be the next necessary step towards God's destiny for your life. But only if you choose to honor God in how you live. So I, I just want to take a moment. We're going to close different. We don't have a song to sing today. I'd like us to pause just for a few seconds. You bow your heads, close your eyes if you would. I want you to think about today, what's the greatest struggle you face in the area of temptation? And thinking about Joseph's life and what the Bible says and God's promises to you. 
would you just would breathe a little prayer to God and ask him for some victory in that area of temptation. Father, thank you today for just reminding us that we're going to encounter temptation, but we don't. We don't have to give in or give up to it. We can actually overcome it. Thank you for Joseph's example. Help us to learn from him, to live in his strength. Thank you for the power of Christ in us that we now enjoy this side of the cross. And I want to pray for those that might be here today that have had an area of their life that has just been a challenge for them in the area of temptation. God, the next time it happens, help them to have the resolve and have made a plan and to be able to step away from that and gain some victory so that each one of us can live in a full, open, honest, growing, dynamic relationship with you. God, lead us there in your providence and in your provision. And we ask and pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.